living your life at the level of your beliefs is rooted in the text of 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 3 and 4. Thank you for tuning in to today's sermon, and I hope it greatly benefits you. I'm Femi Asabin, a preacher for the Church of Christ. Our theology, to a large degree, determines how we live. Theology, simple definition is your beliefs about God and the practices that ensue from them. And so what we really believe about God guides us in our lives because our actions are guided by what we believe. So if you believe somebody has your best intentions at heart, you're going to act in such a way that shows that. So no matter what they do, and if you believe that what they really want is what's good for you, you're going to act in a way, even if they do something that puts you in a bad situation, that shows that. If you believe that hard work is going to pay off and be beneficial for you financially, you're going to work hard so that you can get more money. If you believe that God is really going to uphold his promises if you're faithful by what you understand, you're going to live to your level of understanding because your beliefs drive your actions. Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica and their beliefs were driving their actions. He expresses this to them because they had accepted the gospel. They had changed their way of life. And what Paul writes them and does is encourages them to continue in the manner of life at which they now had accepted. So he says that they have grown in love, continue to love. They had demonstrated faith, continue to demonstrate that faith. They had suffered persecutions because they believed that Jesus Christ was the son of God and that he was going to come and bring them into heaven at his on his return. So they acted in such a way that manifested those beliefs. Listen, listen to what he says in 2 Thessalonians 1, just 3 and 4, just to give us some insight into this. We are bound, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet because that your faith, your belief groweth exceedingly and the charity or the love of every one of you towards each other aboundeth so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith and all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. If they did not believe in Christ, then they would not endure in persecutions. They would not abound in faith and in love. And that gives us insight. A lot of dare I say, all Christians' lives are a reflection to the level of their faith. If you have faith in God, your life is going to show to what extent you have faith in God. Because your faith is going to determine what you will think, believe that God will or will not do for you in your life. So you have faith in God, 
is going to determine if you turn the other cheek, if you forgive, if you give, if you come to church, because your belief is going to tell you that either God will or will not in this situation. And it's going to be evident through your actions. And then what we believe that God can't or won't do, we demonstrate our own efforts and energies towards that. So if we don't think God will take care of us in a situation, we do what we feel is necessary. So we get confronted with a situation to where we have to demonstrate faith, but we don't have faith that God will deliver us. We're going to justify our actions by doing what we feel is necessary. So if we're in a situation to where it's either give to church or pay a bill and we haven't given to church, we're going to pay the bill. If we have faith that God will provide, we're going to give to church. If God tells us to demonstrate love by forgiving others, if we have faith in the fact that God says to the degree, the measure in which you forgive, I'll forgive you, we'll forgive. If we do not have faith in the fact that God will forgive us to the measure in which we forgive others, we won't forgive. So our faith leads us to the actions which demonstrate the level of faith that we have. Sometimes this produces good results, and other times this produces bad results. The Thessalonians, they changed their lives because they believed the gospel. Their belief allowed them to suffer persecutions because their theology led to a change in their life. Let's listen to what Paul tells them to do because of their acceptance of the theology he gives them, the teachings of the gospel. Chapter 3. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. But the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. And we have confidence in the Lord touching you that ye both do and will do the things which we command you. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us. For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us, for we behaved not ourselves disorderly among you, neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day that we might not be chargeable to any of you, not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. 
For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busy bodies. Now, them that are such, we command and exhort you by our Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But brethren, be not weary in well-doing. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace always by all means. The Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul with my own hand which is the token of every epistle, so I write, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. You see, what Paul calls this church to is deeper faith, living lives that are productive and godliness because they have accepted the teachings of the gospel. And it's supposed to reflect in their life. And where he starts this off is at a prayer. And that prayer is that he, know, that the gospel will have free course as he teaches it, as he preaches it. And as Paul is writing this, he's in Corinth preaching the gospel. So what he's asking is that they pray to God that this message will be received freely from people as it goes out. And so that nothing will hinder it. And that also Paul will be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. Because not everybody has faith. Not everybody's theology of God is calling them to live a moral lifestyle. And there are some who do not believe in God. So they're living a lifestyle that I can do what I want. But Paul is saying, pray for me so that as I preach and as I teach, the message that I deliver will be accepted and also that I will be delivered from unreasonable man. And what's telling is that as he writes this in Corinth, we can read in Corinthians to where the gospel went out freely and there was an acceptance of it amongst Gentiles. And also Paul was delivered from unreasonable man when he went before Galileo at the pro council. And so this prayer that he's asked for was answered and Paul's theology tells him, let me pray for situations in my life because God can work in them and it's evidenced in scripture. And so he's giving an example to the Thessalonians evoke God in situations in your life and pray so that you will have a godly outcome. Spread this gospel and pray that people will receive it just as you received it. Understand that people are in opposition to the gospel and pray that they will not harm you unjustly. But go to God in prayer about it. Because God can do something about it. And what's interesting is as Paul gives this prayer, he says that the God that we're praying to, the Lord that we're praying to, he is faithful and he'll establish you because Paul knows that they're going through 
trials and tribulations as well. And what he's saying is that this God that they followed, this Jesus who they submitted their will to, he's going to keep them from evil. But then a question becomes, if this Lord is going to keep them from evil, why are they suffering persecution? Because the evil Paul is talking about is the ultimate evil. The evil that comes on God's judgment when Jesus Christ returns and God's wrath is enacted on those who did not believe the gospel that he referenced to in the first chapter. So while we face bad times in this life, we know that what we go through is really not to be compared with the evil that we'll be saved from at the return of Christ. So we should, in faith, live lives that say no matter what it is that I'm going through, I'm not going to allow the circumstances to cause me to live unfaithfully. Because God is working in our lives. Prayer is real. And those who live and demonstrate faith, they will be justified. The theology determines how they live their lives. How they interact with scripture, the teachings, doctrine of Christ, but also how they live in the midst of unfaithful non-believers who are willing to persecute them, who do not share the same faith, who do not believe the same way, because they believe that they are not held to a standard that God is holding all men to. They don't believe that judgment is real, because if they did, then they wouldn't be in opposition to the gospel and those who live according to the gospel. But Paul is confident that this message that he's delivered to the Thessalonians is not falling on deaf ears because he's confident that they'll obey him. He's confident that they will live up to the teachings that he's given them, even though he understands that some of them are not living right. Because he says, some of you guys are living disorderly. Some of you guys are busybody. Some of you guys are lazy. Some of you guys are not working. But I live before you. I've showed you how my belief in Jesus Christ dictated that I worked with my own hands so I would not have to be accountable to anybody or chargeable on anybody to show you guys how you're supposed to be as well. Because some of them, I believe, had a bad theology and they were taught, they understood that Jesus Christ is coming again. But what Paul tells them is that he is not here and some people have misinformed you and told you that the day of the Lord is here and is believed that they thought that this was true so they stopped working. They depended upon other people to supply them with their needs which led them to be busybodies, not busy, which led them to be lazy, not productive. And there was a system in place in 
in Rome at that time to where there was a patron-client system to where a person who was wealthy, a person who had means, that they would be a patron and they would have clients who came and were supplied the food and they'd do errands for them and they'd, they'd, they'd essentially be their flunky so that they could get fed, so that they could get taken care of. And Paul is saying, this is not how Christians should live. You should not be dependent upon anybody else for your bread because God has given you the ability to work. And if a person is not going to work, then they do not need to eat. Not saying if a person can't get work, because we understand in this life, sometimes we go through hard times. And as hard as you try, things just don't always work out for you. But if a person is not willing to work, then they shouldn't eat. Because what God has given us is the ability to go out and get. What he has done is he blesses those who go out on faith and put forth effort on faith that God's going to provide <laughs> because God wants to care for us. And a beautiful thing that, that God has also done is in this blessing and providing for us, he has also given us a charge that we should do good works with what he has given us. So what Paul says is, you guys have the spirit to go out and work to provide for yourselves because this is what I exemplified for you. Don't just be meddling in other people's business. Don't be lazy. Don't not be disorderly because that's not what God is calling us to. God is calling us to be a people who are not dependent upon the world, but who are dependent upon God. God is calling us to be a people who exemplify our faith in God by doing what God calls us to do. And God is calling us to be a people whom he can bless and show the world that there is a reality in living faithfully. And when you do that, do not forget to do good works. As Paul say. Do not be weary in well-doing. But he knows that in writing this letter to the church, that there's going to be some who are not going to accept all of his teachings, all of what he has commanded them. And then he tells them, this is not from me, this is from Jesus Christ. You need to live in such a way that your belief in God is demonstrated in all aspects of your life. I exemplified that. And that's what we're called to in the gospel. We understand that we live in a world that's persecution to the message of Christ and that sometimes Christians are going to have hard times. We understand that we live in a world to where things are not always going to go our way. But we also know that we have a God who hears our prayers. We also know that we have a God who is going to righteously judge this world. And, and when we live in faith, our hope will be fulfilled and we will live eternally with God in heaven. But also while we're here, we're supposed to be living lives that show we trust in God. We're not supposed to be busybodies. 
We're not supposed to be lazy. We're not supposed to be gossips. We're not supposed to be dependent upon somebody else to take care of us if we have the ability to take care of us, to take care of ourselves through what God has blessed us with. You see, our faith in God is calling us to be people that reflect what God wants all people to be. And so as we think about how our theology impacts what we do in our life, we must consider, first of all, the faith that we have in God. Are we asking God for the things that we need? Are we interceding with the church for things that are of God? Do we pray that the message of God goes out freely and that it will be received amongst all people? Do we understand that at some point we have to promote this message? Do we understand that at some point in the promotion of this gospel message, we might be faced with persecution, but we still have the ability to pray to God for deliverance from situations and that the ultimate evil, which is damnation and hell, we will escape because we have a God who could keep us from it, even if we go through trouble in this life. You see, when we believe that, It'll cause us to do things more of the spiritual nature. It'll cause us to be okay with sometimes facing shame for speaking of Jesus. It'll cause us to sometimes be okay with having to suffer for the kingdom of God because in that suffering, we know that that's just a sign that we're worthy of the blessings that God wants to give us. But if we haven't fully accepted that, then we're not going to fully live it out. And so we have to understand the power of prayer and the access that we have to the deeper things that God wants for us and the faith that he's calling us to in it. Because what really happens in prayer is we start to align all wills with God when we get our prayer life right. Because as we're talking to God, God is talking to us and God's working through us, through his spirit. Because that's our form of communication. Well, one of our forms of communication to God is prayer. And so while we ask for things that we want, We start turning that into things that God desires for us through prayer. And we're mindful of not just our situation in life, but other situations in life, too, that have embodied this gospel message. And we pray for their success in ministry, their success in life, and whatever other situations that they're going through. But we pray because we know that we have a God who listens that really can deliver us from the things that we're going through in life because he's done it in Scripture. He's done it before. And we know that if it wasn't for God, then we would not have escaped some of what we have gone through. Paul, pretty sure he looks back after he leaves Corinth and says it was only because of God 
that I didn't suffer as much as I could have. As he left Thessalonica, it's only because of God that he didn't suffer as much as he could have. As he left Athens, as he leaves all of these places to where he goes and riots ensue and to where people are in opposition to the gospel, he's praying for deliverance. He's talking to God. He has this open line of communication and God constantly delivers him. Our lives as well. When we're praying to God through whatever it is we're going through, God is constantly delivering us. And it's only in hindsight that we can see the real evidence of those fulfilled prayers. So it takes reflection at times. Understanding of what we have gone through. I'm not saying that you should, but I've heard some people that keep prayer journals. And they record what they wanted to pray for. We have the sickness that we pray for. But it helps us to remind us of what we have prayed for over time. And then we could reflect and say, hey, I remember I prayed for that in God. He answered that prayer. I prayed for this and this is how it worked out. I wasn't praying in this situation and this is how it worked out. And it would be interesting to see how you can compare those two. Or how you could say, I prayed for this situation and it was revealed to me to act this way, but I went contrary to it. Or I saw how I was supposed to act according to scripture and I went contrary to it. Did God deliver me? Or did I fall into more problems? Because we have a God who really can deliver us. And sometimes that deliverance is through the persecution, not from it. Because that persecution actually deepens our faith and lets us know that it's not these hard times that determines if God is with us. It's the coming up out of them. It's the, 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 the stronger faith being built that testifies to the fact that it was God who was with us. Jesus died, went to the grave, and rose. Didn't escape the persecutions, but survived through them. Children of Israel, through the wilderness... Forty years they had sinned, and then that second generation got to inherit the promised land because they went through the tough, hard times that those who didn't have faith never got to see. God delivers his people when they demonstrate faith. That faith is strengthened through our prayers. And as we think of how we live demonstrating that faith, we must know that we're leaving behind an example. But in the leaving behind of an example, there's always an example that we're following. And we have to be mindful of the example that we follow because we could be following the wrong example and leading us to the place we don't want to go. Paul says, I left an example for you to follow. Yet there were some Christians who were busybodies that he has to correct. It's not because they didn't have a good example to follow. It's because they were following the wrong example, primarily culture. Paul said, I was 
a godly example for you. And if we think about our lives, if somebody was to walk in the same steps as us, would they be following a godly example or a worldly example? Would we be leading them closer to God or closer to this world? Because we're leaving examples. Our life is an example to somebody. And it testifies what we really believe, which is informed by our understanding of God. Do we believe that God's working in our lives? It's going to show in the example we leave. Do we believe that God can work in tough situations? It's going to show how we demonstrate or do not demonstrate faith in those situations. The example we leave is a testimony to what we really believe in. And as we're following God, we must know that God has called us to be busy, not a busy body. We must be busy about God's work. We must be busy about taking care of self because God has given us abilities. God has given us gifts. And he expects us to use those gifts for right purposes. Not to not do anything. Not to be meddling in other people's business. Not to just be gossipers waiting on somebody to give me a handout. But no, actually to be busy doing ministry, working for what you need with your own hands. Paul did this. He toiled day and night laboring so that he could supply the things he needed, yet he also promoted, preached, proclaimed the gospel. He relied on God to provide him what he needed and did the work that God called him to. We all have things that we can do for God. Many of us in here have reached the age of retirement. Might give us a little bit more time to dedicate to God. Some of us have not reached that age of retirement. That just means we have work that we need to do, but we can't forget about the ministry that we're called into. See, God has called us to be busy, not busy bodies. He's given us all gifts and abilities that he expects us to utilize. And in the utilization of it, he'll bless us. And in the being blessed, we should not forget about doing good. But all of this is influenced, is informed by our understanding of Scripture. By the faith that we have in God. And how we live it out in our lives. You see, our theology influences our practices. Because what we really believe will live. And if we understand what God has called us to and our faith is secure, that'll be demonstrated in the way that we live. But there's somebody who Paul addresses in here that doesn't necessarily believe quite wrong. They just don't do right. And that is the busybody. The one who is being lazy. And what does he say? Distance yourself for them. To shame them. Not as an enemy, but as a brother. 
You see, we have a responsibility to each other to exemplify the type of life to live, but also to show that those who are not living quite right, especially if your doctrine is right and you understand the teachings, but you just are not quite right, let me give you some space to show you that you're not doing things quite right to kind of get you shamed into doing right. It's like that family member that just doesn't want to do right. It's not like they're just wrong. It's just, you just don't do nothing. So I don't come around you because what I'm trying to do is inspire you to get up and do something with your life. And when you start doing something, you got to be around you. But until then, I'm going to distance myself. Not because I hate you, but because I love you. And that's what God is, is, is wanting us to do with these relationships that we have established in the church is to exemplify, but also hold each other up to a standard. Because we need each other's help from time to time. And we believe that God is calling us all to the same thing. He doesn't say that some people have the right, the luxury to do nothing while other people have the obligation to support them. No. We are all called to the same thing, giving different gifts so that what we are doing is building up the body as a whole. And if something in the body is not living up to its part, it needs to be addressed. And we as God's people should do that. But we do it in love. Don't address them as an enemy. As a brother. Because what we really want to do is see each and every person living up to their full potential. And sometimes we need gentle reminders. Us of those, us who are married know this at times. We're thankful for our spouses because at times they gently remind us of when we're not on the right track, of when we're not on the right page. And when we get on that right page, that relationship is better, is tight. Just as it is in the church, when everybody has the same goal, working towards the same plan, the church is strong. And that's what God's trying to lead us to. I'm not sure where this message leaves you. But I hope that it would encourage you to think about the depth of what you believe and how that's demonstrated in your life. To remind you to pray in all situations, but to pray especially in regards to the promotion of the gospel of Christ because that's what saves us. And to put our hope in the deliverance of God because he can deliver us. And to be busy, not busy bodies. Use your efforts and energies into the gifts that God has given you. Want to supply your needs, but also to work towards some form of ministry, which is your spiritual gift that God has given you. And all of that's going to be influenced by scripture and your understanding of it. I'm not sure where that sermon leaves you. My prayer 
is that you will contemplate it and incorporate it into your Christian life. If you're not a Christian, I ask, what's stopping you? God sent his son Jesus to freely extend the gift of salvation to all who will follow him. To get that salvation, one must follow the example set out in scripture. The book of Acts, which details the church's beginnings and expansion, shows us biblical examples of those who were saved. A good place to look is in Acts 2, where you get Paul preaching the first gospel sermon and the response of those who believed after hearing his message. They repented and were baptized, which added them to the church Christ established. The Bible only teaches of one church, and if you want to be added to it, go to your local church of Christ and tell them and your desire to be washed of your sins and to live a godly life. Study your Bible, put its teachings to practice, and you will make heaven your home.